Today on The Career Musician, we have V. Jordan, who is a studio vocalist with expertise performing as a soloist and in a group for jazz, classical, and gospel genres. She is also an accomplished session pianist, teacher, and accompanist. She performed the Saint Sans Piano Concerto No. 2 with the Santa Clarita Philharmonic as the featured soloist at just 19 years old. She has also appeared on the Disney Channel, Bizarre Vark, The Goldbergs for ABC, and has performed live at Grammy Music Cares behind Mavis Staples and Leon Bridges, as well as the Little Voices charity behind Crystal Star. She's also starring as one of the female jazz leads in a brand new SAG TV show titled Nights of Swing. Right here on the Career Musician Podcast, you don't want to miss it, V. Jordan. All right, so something I always like to start out with is asking guests how they got bit by the music bug. Hmm. Good question. I started playing the piano. So piano is my baby and that's really where my heart is at. And, okay. you know, I got a Nord sitting right here that I'm just plugging along, you know, and, uh, I was five when I started lessons. I was 19 when I stopped and I was doing classical. And when I was 19, I did a, this huge, like piano concerto. It's called the Saint-Saëns Piano Concerto in G minor number two. And I did it all from memory with a Philharmonic Orchestra as the featured solo pianist. And after that year, it took me a year to practice and learn it all. I just decided that I was, I was done with classical because I felt like my heart was calling me to something else. But that had really been my whole world. And that's when I discovered the greats. And I discovered Stevie Wonder and I discovered Nat King Cole. I never heard jazz before. I mean, it was just like... I, I was opened up to this whole new world. And even though I loved the piano uh, growing up, I had such an immediate like pull toward the jazz and gospel genres, especially. So I started singing with a vocal jazz ensemble in the Santa Clarita Valley in Los Angeles. And that took me to Texas at like the jazz, like educators network conference. And that took me to Monterey and that took me to all these different places where it was these homes of all these incredible jazz cats, singers and musicians alike. I got to know everyone in the band, everywhere I went. Um, you know, because I, in my head, I still considered myself a pianist. So wow. I was always like more in touch with the band than I was the singers. The singers always gave me issues. So I got to know everybody. And then they said, come to the show, come to the show, come to the show. And man, I was hooked. Totally so hooked. what? what age was this? When I started getting, uh, that uh, you started discovering yeah, like jazz and R&B 19, 19. Okay. So, uh, okay. The co- that's crazy. How many, uh, sorry. Six years ago. So, oh, okay. So, man, I, I knew you were young. So, okay. Yeah. So here's the crazy part. Up yeah. until then, you never heard jazz and R&B. No. Okay. Isn't that nuts? That's so very I grew up in a, yeah, I grew up in a super conservative home. Okay. And we were super classically driven, academically wow. and classically. I mean, it was just like, you know, we would go to the Walt Disney Concert Hall and listen to these incredible symphonies and wonderful piano players. But it was all about classical. Sure. And it was a great foundation for me. And I truly love it, but I got so sick of it. So okay. sick after after that year practicing for the concerto performance. Um, plus, I was still a teenager. 
And I was like, I, I feel like there's more out there, you know? And so I, I just started exploring. Of course I'd heard of a lot of different things, you know, walking into a coffee shop or a library or whatever, you hear all sorts of music. And it had always struck me as interesting, but for some reason, 19 is when I really dove in and I started listening every day. Doris Day, Nat King Cole, Stevie Wonder, Julie London, Ella Fitzgerald, and then gospel. And, and just all this stuff started coming out and reggae and like soul. And I was like, whoa, this is insane. I need to be here wherever this is. So a couple... A couple things I want to unpack here because it's really interesting. The first thing yeah. is, you know, uh, when you're on the trajectory of being a professional classical musician, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, as they say, legit, a legit player, so sure. to speak. That is a very unforgiving path. And you mentioned something, by the way, the concerto, the composer was? Saint-Saëns. Saint-Saëns. Like it looks like Saint-Saëns. It's French. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so you said that it took you a year yeah. to actually learn that piece and commit it to memory. It was about 90 pages of music. Right. So that's one of the things I want to point out to uh, our fellow career musician community out there. You know, if first of all, if you are a legit classical player, you can identify with that immediately. You get it. Uh, you know, for those who don't know that world, that's a serious commitment that, it, like I said, it's unforgiving. It doesn't really allow for much space to do anything else. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, there's there's not a lot of room for error. And errors are, can be the most minute, you know, you miss an eighth note, you miss an inflection that you needed to put on that 16th. I mean, it's, it's, it's so small and so detailed and it's wonderful because it teaches you a lot of discipline. But when I listened to jazz, I was like, I, I was shocked by the, of the, of each player. And even though there's a lot of that, there's certainly every player's classical and there's a lot of, you know, freedom in that as well. Um, this was just so, so different. Mm. It, it, yeah. And it, it just very, so it was, it was phenomenal to discover jazz for sure. You cut out for a second. You were shocked by the what of each player? Just by the freedom of the each freedom. player in jazz Classic. and how they're, yeah. And, and how this, it could be the same song. Right. But about four different players would play it four completely different ways. That's right. With That's right. Entirely different emotions, even and touch and choices. You know, especially right. when it came to improv. I mean, well, it's yeah. it's individual interpretation, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the other thing that I find really interesting about, the, and this was just your opening statement, so this is good. Yeah. Uh, you, you were 19, you discovered jazz and, and soul music and R&B and all these other things, uh, and then you started singing, is that right? Because your singing voice is well-developed to only be seven years old. Like, right. you've only been singing for seven years, is that true? Is that accurate? So I've been, the way that I kind of see it is this. I was singing in, you know, like church choirs. Okay. Since I was 12, but it was like it's like those little tiny soprano soprano one way up at the top. I had a really small voice, really small. I was very quiet. 
I had no confidence and I wasn't a singer. So I, I wasn't, I wasn't making myself try to be that in any way. Copy that. In fact, I ran from it. I was really like, I will never in my mind, I will never do, I will never do this. Oh my gosh. I can't. I had one solo as a 14 year old in front of my church, like 400 people. Right. And I was just sweating from every pore possible. I was like, I could never be a singer like, or a musician, like, professionally no way that would work like this is way too nerve-wracking right and then you know everything changed but when I turned 19 is when I really started to invest in my voice and I started when I started listening to those guys specifically I started singing along with them in my car and I started blending to them and I started trying to make myself how do I sound like that oh what's that called oh that's a riff let me try to do that okay that sounds really fun let me try that and so, um, so I started doing it and it was just me and my guitar, me and my keyboard, me and my ukulele, you know, me and my cello. Mm-hmm. I would start messing around and, um, I picked up cello just to, you know, have some fun and try to do something different a while ago. But just like it, it, it w- it's really hard to describe because yes, of course, everyone like sings a little bit, but I didn't know I could sing. Until I joined that jazz ensemble and I was better than everyone there. I could read better. My rhythm was perfect. My inflections were good. I knew what the director was going to say before she said it. I was just like, okay, I have something here and, and not in a cocky way, but just like, I think I have something and I think I need to explore that. Right. So 19 was really when, when that happened. Well, what's really important here is that, you know, my dad used to tell me all the time, um, if you learn classical, you can play anything, you know, and I think that's true. You learn the fundamentals in, in, like you said, a very strict classical manner. So there you have it, you know, your, your, your rhythms, your inflections, your dynamics, your sight reading. And that's something else that you mentioned on your website. And I want to talk about that. Um, so as a, as, a, as a piano player, you can sight read really well, uh, whatever instrument you play. Can you sight sing as well? Yes. Okay. So then that really translated, and yes. that, that is, you know, inval- that's an invaluable skill. Yeah. Huge. I will say COVID really made me rusty because I haven't been singing live for a little while. But Got it. my sight singing, that sort of came with the territory when I was sight reading piano. Sometimes, especially when I started playing jazz and I started playing the improvs, mm-hmm. I would try to sing along with them and I'd be able to guess more or less correctly because I had seen this pattern before. I knew the position of my hand, which almost helped with the position of my, where to put the notes in my voice. Right. So right. I could feel it. It wasn't so much a technical thing. It wasn't so much like, a, oh, we're in B flat major and I need to go up a fifth. And uh, it was it was less of that and it was just more... I could feel the fifth, if that Okay. Sense. Yeah, it yeah, does. So that's, so that's what sight singing for me really looks like. And it's become a little bit more technical since then. But that was an inval- invaluable skill right. that really allowed me to grow my career as a studio musician because, or studio vocalist. Because a lot of people didn't know how to sight sing. So that was a huge plus for me coming in. 
That's what I was going to ask you next. And knowing those intervals, man, when you can sing intervals sight unseen, you just you can just nail that's that's uh, that's incredible. So talk about that. So how did you get into the studio scene as a vocalist? And you know how's that progressing? Right. So I, I started working for Scott Frankfurt. Um, okay. Right. When right. I was when I was uh, twenty one. So wow. at this point, I've had two years of jazz, you know, gospel. I started singing with a gospel choir. I started singing. You know, with another ensemble, I, I started um, getting paid for work to sing, you know, but it was very small, very, very small. And I was just starting to learn the instrument that I had. Um, and that's really due also to another woman. Her name's Renee Urbanovich, but she was a vocal teacher. Um, I was an accompanist, a, a piano accompanist. And I started when I was 18. That was my first job. And it's been my only job since. But I was playing the piano, sight reading for other people who were doing like recitals, juries, mm. musicals for high school, middle school, whatever. I People would hire me to read. So I would just go and- So they throw a chart in front of you. You sit down and you're just automatically playing yeah. on the spot. You don't need rehearsal. You just nail it. Yeah. In rehearsals, you know, I, and, and they would also hire me to- sub for someone in a in a band or something like that but it was really simple i was also playing at church so i was doing some chord stuff as well but it was mostly like sheet music types so it was tough work but it was really good i loved it and um because of that that's how i met renee and renee heard me one day humming along in one of her vocal lessons to some kid on who was who was on broadway doing like chip or something for beauty and the beast and she asked me to help teach him the notes. And somehow from that, she discovered that I could sing. And she was like, girl, you, you got something there. I'm going to pull it out of you. And I was like, no, leave it alone. <laughs> good thing she did. <laughs> she, oh my God. She pulled me by my hiney and just, uh, she, just yeah. she just really said, you need to be confident and let go. So it was really because of her that I decided to invest in my voice and then actually go forward and, and use it to make money and to have fun and enjoy my life. Um, so yeah, shout out to Renee for that. But because of that, I decided to work for, I decided to, to leave school at the time I was getting a master's in nutrition science. That's a whole other part of my life. I was <laughs> going to be a nutritionist and I had just graduated and I was, I was tired of school. I wanted to do something really different. Mm. And I found Scott Frankfurt really randomly. I got the job on the spot. And the next day, I was working with Sergio Mendez. Bam. Serving him coffee, talking to his background vocalist, meeting his piano player, who I just did a project with. You know, just like starting to build my connections, starting to build my understanding of what it was to be in the studio. And to, mm -hmm. and, and for some reason, I listened to Grisinha, who's Sergio's wife, who, who sings on all of his projects, mm. singing these incredible incredibly hard jazz intervals and like crazy stuff that she was doing. And for some reason in my mind, I was like, I think I can do that. I think yeah. I just need some help, but I think I can do that. Um, so in the middle of that time, I got hired to sing for Disney channel. That was my first job as a studio singer. Is I was on a bizarre bark. Bizarre. I was going to say, is that the bizarre with, uh, with Olivia Rodrigo? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was on bizarre bark with her. Uh, for an episode and I was singing in some like <laughs> high school acapella group and I had the solo like the whole 
you know, a little riffy, we are Utopia. And I was doing a little blah, 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 thing like that. And they were like, ooh, we like you. All the waterfalls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was so into riffing at that point, so I was like, "This is amazing." It was all it was all new at the time, so that's that's crazy. It's it's really interesting how you have such a natural propensity for it, and it literally just kind of happened. It sounds like it almost happened by accident, you know. It's like, you know, a lot I was of people really pulled into it. Yeah, a lot of other people are the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. Oh, that's great. It's it's cool that you give the credit too. I mean, I wouldn't have chosen this for myself. And that's kind of the, the interesting part of my story is, and the biggest thing I usually tell people when they're coming up in their career is just to be kind to people because mm -hmm. you never know who's who and who's going to pour into your life. And these people, I mean, without them, I have, you know, the, on my fingers, I have the people that I give all the credit to for where that's I'm right. at. That's right. And Scott, you know, Scott Frankfurt is one of them. And... I always give them credit because I, I would not have taken the leap if they wouldn't right. believe in me and told me to believe in myself. Right. Yeah. Well, that, that's a, there's a powerful message right there. So for everybody listening, if you're experiencing with V, what V is talking about, you know, currently, really take those words to heart. Uh, you have to believe in yourself. And if you're having trouble, reach out to those around you, you know, reach out to your network, talk to people and you might say, oh, I don't have a network. Well, you know what? Now you have another job cut out for you. Go uh -huh. build a network of people. Uh -huh. Go find some like-minded individuals, right? Yeah. I mean, the way I built my network was for some reason, I like, I knew I needed to go places. I don't know how to explain that, but I knew that I needed to show up to find who I was looking for. Right. Even though I didn't know who I was looking for, what I was there for even sometimes, sometimes I was just there to be in the space and enjoy it and figure out what it was. Mm -hmm. So whether that was, you know, a show on a Monday night or a, like a, a weird event or a workshop at a random studio that I've never heard of, just things that were sort of new and adventurous and I didn't really know what or who they were. But I went right. and I tell you, those are the places where I found all of those people who have had a huge effect on my life, who've become really good, dear friends, who have gotten me some crazy jobs. Yeah. You know, another one of my first jobs was singing at Grammy Music Cares with Dolly Parton. Like it was just nuts. I was going to ask you about that. that. I got to. Yeah. It was nuts because that was one of those examples that it was an Instagram thing. I tell you, Instagram is crazy. I've gotten some of the best jobs off of Instagram. Like, right. no less. Right. You know, um, so yeah, it, it's just like you got to take some chances there. And sometimes it's hard to know which one. So I was, for some reason, maybe it was because I was new to everything and I just had such a wonder about me. Mm -hmm. I wasn't too scared of those things. I just decided to go as much as I could and just dive in. Um, and that's really when I asked friends, you know, um, how they had gotten into it or, you know, their stories of success and lessons that I could learn from them. That's what they said. They, said mm. they just dove in hundred percent. That's right. So, yeah, that's, that's it. Well, I, I always like to say, you know, get up, dress up and show up. Mm -hmm. And that's half the battle. 
And once you once you get to that destination, like you said, you might not even really be sure why you're there. But as long as you're there, something's going to happen. Something's going to go down, you know, and that's the a good thing. amount of times I've ended up at some sketchy bar or some like weird part of Los Angeles with a friend or singing on some weird projects that I've, I, I don't even know who the producers are. Like there's some weird stuff that has definitely happened. And I actually think it's pretty funny. You know, I've definitely yeah. taken steps to <laughs> yeah. stay safe, of course. Yeah, yeah. But there's just so many funny stories about, about that process of right. finding where you want to be. Cause I really didn't know. I didn't know what sessions session singers or session musicians were before I got to Scott Frankfurt studio. No mm. idea. I never, I didn't know you could make money singing into a mic in a special studio split space that just looks and feels incredible. And then get this thing called residuals and <laughs> you could work for TV and that's even better money. And Oh shoot, these background singers and the voice, that's their full time. Right. Job. Like right. idea. This was a world. Right. And in fact, when I tell people who aren't musicians that I'm a session singer, they're usually like, what, what, what is that? What is that? Right. What, what what? Yeah. <laughs> the average person doesn't really understand no. what that is. Yeah. Or a session musician, same. So, so, okay. So for those listening who really aren't sure about the whole world, what, what V is talking about is basically, you know, a, a producer will, will produce a, a song or an album for an artist and they hire musicians and singers, you know, and session musicians and singers. And obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you're kind of hip to what that is, you know. Uh, but all of the, the good stuff comes, you know, you, you do the job and you usually get paid, right? So you get paid your production fee, your work fee. But then when it's being broadcast on television or, you know, if it's being streamed on, you know, large channels and in any kind of way, shape or form, and even if it's just on a, an album, you get residuals, especially if all the paperwork is done properly and it's unionized. So this is actually a great segue because I want to talk about your, you work with SAG and then, you know, Knights of Swing and so forth. So. So, you know, listen, again, if you're not familiar with that side of things, everybody listening, do some homework on that. And of course, you can hit us up here for some resources uh, and, you know, get more, get more, become more aware. But tell us about your association with SAG and how all that panned out with that cool wow. show. I checked it out. It was neat. For sure. Yeah. So SAG, um, you know, union, non-union, it's, it's always a huge controversy in, in our session world. And everybody has the freedom to make whatever choice they make. You just also have to know that you can't have the best of, you can't have both. Yeah. Right. And it, it really was a decision to join with the union and to say, okay, I want to um, align with a lot of their values and missions right. and their really good rates for singers when you do right. get a union job. The residuals that come with that and the fact that they're protected by the union, they're going to go after anyone who doesn't give them to you. That definitely happens. You have an advocate um, working in your behalf. Yeah. I had a friend, 20 years went by before she started seeing residuals for something she did. Yeah, that's not she right. Got, but she got paid loads, but it took 20 yeah. years. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, had, they had to fight for that after she joined the union. So sure. um, it's it's definitely a form of protection. There, there are definitely... There's always some disadvantages. You know, a lot of work is going on union just because it's it's expensive going through union work. Yeah. So 
We're fighting to keep the work here in Los Angeles. A lot of it's going to London right now as session singers because it's cheaper over there. You know, <laughs> they're doing a lot more non-human work. Which is ironic because London is exp is an expensive city. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely give and take. Um, it's a choice to make. But I ended up aligning with a guy called Gerald White. Gerald White is another person, one of those 10 on, on, my, yeah. on my list. But Gerald, um, Gerald represented uh, SAG to me when I first met him. Uh, he was kind of my first step into the session industry. So he was doing some sight singing classes at the union itself. And that's where I met a lot of my best friends. And I met a lot of my coworkers. And I was getting to show off some of my sight singing skills to Gerald, who was a big, big time a tenor session singer in LA. Um, yeah. And after talking to him for a couple of years, I, he just kind of counseled me to be like, Hey, I think you should join the union. And, um, smart. Yeah. So I did. Right. So talk about that process again, for the listeners who aren't familiar, yeah. if you so don't mind. Some really, so one really important detail that I had to learn after like a year and a half, for some reason, they don't tell people this. If you're an actress or an actor, you have to get three jobs. This is to my current knowledge. Yep. Anything can change at any time. You have to get three jobs and then you have to get Taft's heart lead into the union, which just means like you have to get the attention of a producer who's going to sign a piece of paper and say, this counts as one of those three things. Yeah. It's so much easier as a singer because you only have to get one of those. So my one of those was the Disney Channel job. And that was given to me. Um, it was a really last minute thing. The, getting the job was an absolute miracle. That's a crazy story on its own. But when I landed the job, that's when I got Taft Hartley into the union um, so that I could do Nights of Swing. And Nights of Swing was a really, really enjoyable project. It was a long project too. It was about a two year project. And now it's gonna be a movie, not a TV show anymore, a movie. Wow. Are you are you in the film as well? I am one of the jazz singers, yes. That's so awesome. I'm, I'm basically like the Andrew sisters. There's there's a trio of us girls and I'm the the lowest alto doing the boo doo doo doo. I'm doing those types of things. Nice. So it's super fun. Hi, I'm V Jordan. You're listening to the Career Musician with Nomad. Download, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. You have a wide range, too, because you said you started in choir when you were younger as a soprano, right? Yeah. And then, and then you developed this low alto tone as well. And yeah. from what we can hear, like in the recording with the Earth, Wind & Fire song, you have a nice, rich timbre, kind of, you know, in the lower register. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> it's really funny because I, I really hated my voice when I was young. I just thought hmm. it was so high and nosy and just like, oh, I really hated it. And um, over time, you know, I came to learn how to love myself and, you know, all that. But I, um, yeah, I, I just, I started listening to singers like, I found Tori Kelly on YouTube before she got big. Okay. Tori Kelly on YouTube doing covers. Incredible. Mm -hmm. Just her and the guitar. Her PYT cover, Michael. I mean, oh my God. Uh, the like, riff that she does going up, <laughs> just like, oh, just absolutely slayed by her. So I started listening to her. She had that range that I wanted so desperately. She could go way up into the rafters. 
And she also had this really low, really low, rich sound as well. And then when I started listening to the guys, you know, Stevie Wonder, Frank Sinatra, you know, the Rat Pack, I started listening to them. So I started forcing myself to sing in their, their range. Right. And I just, again, my story is just pieces built like this. Like I just, I didn't know what I was doing, but I loved it. So I just followed my heart and, um, I loved the low, warm sounds. One of my favorite singers right now of all time is Layla Hathaway. Mm-hmm. Holy. She's incredible. Man. Yeah. She, her voice. I just, mm. I just feel like I'm like, I'm melting into the softest sheets. Yeah. You know, just, oh. She's fantastic. I've, I've worked with her quite, quite a bit. Uh, I've written a few songs with her as well. She's, and yeah. she, she's just a, just a sweetheart of a person. And of course, the legacy, you know, of who her father was, and she's she's boy, she really has carried that legacy on yes. in, in such an amazing way to the full. So extent. when I heard her singing, so. I was like, I gotta, yeah. I gotta try that. Whatever yeah. she's doing, I gotta try to do that. So well, again, I keep harping on that because I want people out there who who might have a similar experience coming from the classical world or might just just might not maybe they got started a little later in life in music it's really cool how you took such you literally did like a 180 you know you're headed in this direction you stop and you turn you go the other direction uh, but the good news is and this is the message for people to really listen to is that what you're doing over here in this initial direction is actually building the foundation and it's going to inform your new decision to go in the other direction. Yes. You know, don't think of it as starting over. It, you literally were preparing for it, but just in a different way. Absolutely. Even mistakes. Right. Mistakes all contribute right. to that foundation building. And um, I think a lot of times classical musicians are so bred and trained mm -hmm. not to make mistakes. Right. That when we do make them in the classical world, they have great consequence, but they, they, it just changes in other genres, in other worlds. And it's, it's nice and freeing, but it's really, um, I don't know, those mistakes, they, they just all contribute to making you the musician that you are and, allowing you the emotional freedom to to play around. Well, you just continue to have fun. Yeah, you just said it. The the freedom, the emotional freedom, the creative freedom, the yeah. right to have individual expression and yeah. in the legit classical world those things are typically frowned upon. Yeah, I mean there's there's it's just different how you do it. Right. I what I loved about and still love about accompanying on the piano, I'm almost creating my own story with my accompaniment. Mm -hmm. while the soloist is making their own and our stories are kind of coming together and creating this really comprehensive, like full, full thing. Yeah. And it's very ethereal. So it's hard to describe that there definitely is freedom within the expression classically. It just has a lot of rules, lots mm -hmm. and lots of rules and boundaries, especially if you're comparing it to jazz, which is just like, yeah. it's just this open gate and you're like, what is happening here? It's amazing. Yeah, there's not much of a comparison. Yeah. So uh, in that way, in that sense. Uh, okay, well, let's talk about what you're going to do now. So you have this great uh, career as a session singer. Uh, you play the piano, from what I understand, for yourself, your own music, or are you working as a piano player as well? Well, you said you're an accompanist, right? Yeah, so. Yeah, I that haven't. Makes sense. Um, 
I haven't done too much accompanying in the past, probably, you know, a couple years, just because other than, than COVID, um, right. my focus has been more on my voice. So okay. I definitely play piano as sort of, um, I don't know, I kind of use it as a way to bless people. So if someone's looking for someone to play for a funeral, a wedding, nice. You know, that's like something I can just use, even just background music. I love that's it. Great. I'll, I'll, pull out, I'll pull out like three of my favorite, you know, piano books, open them up, just start reading and I was, like, I was going to ask you, so your repertoire is vast from classical to jazz, pop, in between, everything? Yeah, I have, I have a big library. That's yeah. awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Do you have a lot of that committed, that repertoire committed to memory, or is it mostly just sight reading? It's reading. Okay. Yeah, memory is really hard for me, especially okay. after that big, uh, that, that big one that I memorized. I think it just took up all my brain space. <laughs> Ninety pages of music. I can't imagine. I can't imagine nice. working on a piece that oh. takes twelve months to memorize. I mean, that's insane. Oh. Look, I did. I I committed to memory early on. I I'll never forget this. When I was fifteen years old, Paganini's sixteenth uh, Caprice. Oh. Okay, yeah. right. and I love it. I play it on guitar, and I love it. And oh, still okay. to this day, I have it memorized note for note. You know, <laughs> from when I was fifteen. Okay. And, and that was when you're when you're 15, when you're younger, it's easier. But that's not that was maybe three or four pages of music, right. 90 pages. I was just like, oh. and 90 pages of insanity. Just like, yeah, just it was a lot. Yeah. So I, I kind of got a bad, just a sour, you know, taste in my mouth for memorizing. So I just don't. I stay away from things I don't like anymore. So I really don't like that's, memorizing music. <laughs> and um, I really don't, I actually don't enjoy like improv that much because I don't really know Okay. How. That, that's what I was going to ask next. And this really is the $64 million question, as we used to say back in the day. Uh, yeah. he, he, here's the deal. Uh, oftentimes classical musicians that, that transfer over into the jazz world, that is an issue. And I was going to ask you about harmony and improvisation. Super tough. I mean, okay. so, so first things first, this is another kind of unique part. Even though I was a classical musician, I grew up with very um, elementary level theory. So theory was super tough for my brain. Really, really tough. Really? That's interesting. It was a language that was it felt nearly impossible for me to figure out while I was growing up with it. So my teacher used to tell me, you know, Ivana, um, your playing is like level 20 out of 20, but your theory is as like worse than a fourth graders. And I was just like, now was that just because you, was it just because you didn't spend the time applying yourself in that area or what did you not, were you not taught it from an early stage properly or? So I really struggle with math. Really okay. tough subject as, for me. As do I. <laughs> only, only subject I ever struggled with. Everything yeah. else was great. Science, history, loved it. Yeah. Theory was so mathematical mm. that whether or not it was a combination of absolute hate or not applying myself, right, and not being mm. super disciplined about it, who knows? But it was just a big struggle for me. And so my classical theory didn't necessarily come along with my classical performance. Mm. So when I got to jazz and there was jazz theory, I was really overwhelmed at first because it was so foreign. 
And most of these concepts, I concepts I probably would have learned had I really pushed through all my classical theory, but just even like chord theory and mm. some great, like circle of fifths was even really difficult for me to understand when mm. I was coming into it. So it's just like, it was, it's been a very interesting part of my journey. Everywhere I've gone, I have been searching for someone to really help me understand that theoretical component to jazz and even to gospel, which I think is, that's also a little bit complicated there. But if you grew up playing it in church, it just kind of comes out of you. So I am having to relearn that stuff in a very technical way. Mm -hmm. And I don't really enjoy that as much. Right. So, yeah. So it's definitely interesting. I've definitely heard of people who went from classical to jazz. No problem. They were able to figure out the improv thing. They were able to do that. But then the majority of us kind of fall into that space where it's like, we're probably really good at reading and we're probably really good at giving the producer what they want. Right. Producer says, A, B, C, D, I want that. Yeah. We can do that. That's why I'm a great session singer, probably mm -hmm. because of my classical upbringing. Because I well, listen no to doubt. Saying, just go, oh, you want this? I yeah. think you, okay, great. And I'll do it. And, and the accuracy there has to be spot on, you know. And because I'm a piano player, my ear is always thinking, I don't want to say this, my ear is always uh, almost like, I've, I've heard these pitches for so long on the piano that my ear is always kind of me like measuring up to that. Whereas sometimes singers who are just singers, they're not um, super, first of all, singers are not tight on their rhythm. Oh. And that, was one thing, that was one thing that I really brought to the table. But the other thing was just the pitch in general. I love that when you play the piano, an A is an A, and it's always right. going to be an A. Well, that's, that's that that pitch accuracy. Yes, yes. not yes. fluctuating between in the space between the notes, but yes. being accurately on. That is yeah. so important. Yeah. So yeah. So those were kind of the struggles of coming into leaving leaving classical, coming into jazz. Mm. Um, so really what I did was I just stuck with the greats like George Shearing, Art Tatum. There you go. Playing their transcripts. Art Tatum, man, that's some serious chops. Dude, you know? I've been trying to learn T for two, Art Tatum for like and <laughs> And he has so many uh, uh, takes on it. Like I remember I had oh, an album that had T he had three or four takes of, of T for two on there. Right. Like, and they're all different. And they're all different. <laughs> so that's what I, that's what I do. Yeah. I really, yeah. I read. That's kind of just my main skill there. And improv, I'm, I'm slowly, I, I, I'm working with Gerald White. Oh, good. The, the teacher I talked about before. Excellent. And um, yeah, he's just kind of working me through some of that. And that came as a great aid when I did, if I ever lose this heaven, because there were no, there was no notes. Like it just had to come from here, mm. you know? Um, so that was actually a challenge for me. And the piano part itself was very simple because it was just, da -na, da -na, that was right. it. I was really, right. and sometimes I play a little something. I had a little, you know, fancy something at the end, but it was even just figuring out those chords mm -hmm. with my ear, which I never had to do before. It's like, this is crazy. So people who can hear stuff on the radio and then just sit down and play it, I just think they are the most talented people ever. <laughs> well, it's an acquired skill like anything else. Uh, 
you know, I, I wish you the best of luck on that journey. And, and I'm confident that you can crush it. Like you've crushed so much of the other, you know, aspects of your career. So are you, are you headed to be an artist? Do you, now that you've had a taste of that, do you, yeah. of both worlds, do you want to be an artist? Do you want to be a session singer or a little bit of both, or you just want to do really the artist thing? For sure. So glad you're asking this question because I've been asked this question every day for the past like two months. Mm -hmm. um, it's important. So, right. So as you know, the video skyrocketed last month. Oh, I, I didn't know it skyrocketed last month. Yeah. So, well, and, and the month before it, it started getting some, some views, but then last month it just took off. So we're mm -hmm. at like over 750,000 views. Oh, that's great. And these are all organic, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. the, the video is being is being shared around the world. We haven't done any promotion on it. So that's just what's what's crazy about this whole, this whole journey. So sorry, I just went there to check it out. Yeah. Yes, you're at 782, 780,000. Hey. Shoot. Yeah. Right. So there you go. So that is all, the first 30,000 views were hmm. friends and family when it first dropped. Okay. After that, it took, you know, another year to get to 50, 60, 70. And then once we hit 80, a couple months ago, it just blew up. And this question of, do I really have a presence here as an artist started becoming a real question. Mm -hmm. So I'm so glad you're asking me this because I've been just thinking about it a lot and been wanting to tell people, but yeah, I'm ready to step out as the Jordan, the artist. And yeah. it's super crazy to me because, again, I told you, I was almost like dragged into this world, kicking and screaming, you know? <laughs> so it's right. insane that that I have this, this opportunity. And I, as I've told you, I love taking shots and seeing what's going to happen. And um, this is kind of one of those huge leaps for me that I, I could have never foreseen. So I'm so grateful for everyone that's watched the video and shared it and contributed because it really has helped me gain the confidence to say, okay, you can do this. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I have a video with this many views. I've played with these incredible cats. Well, I was going to say, not, not only that, you got the cats on the video, you uh, know, yeah, Scott, Scott okay. really helped. He really helped you put, put together the team of the team. You it know, was insane. And great I, was team. Serving, I was just serving them coffee. Yeah. Like they didn't know I could sing. They yeah. didn't know I could play. Gotcha. But they said yes. You know, and, and they were they were just happy to do it. And then when I told them it was gonna be, you know, a Quincy song or Leon Ware song, they were like, Oh shoot, come on now. You know, and it was all this yeah. jazz funk and and we had such a good time and now, you know, I'll be working with some of them again and it'll be on my own stuff. So that's, that's kind of what we're we're just really excited to see what I develop into as an artist. But right now, yeah, it's, it's mostly just going to be exploring all those deep dives that those old classics that maybe you haven't heard for a long time and you want to hear a girl sing it and you yeah. want to hear a Latina <laughs> sing it, right? You're yeah. Like, yeah. That's a fresh take on something I haven't heard in a while or that I've loved, you know, way back when I was 12 in the seventies and you know, in the sixties or whatever, like, yeah. Well, and by the way, do you sing in Spanish? Are you bilingual? 
I do sing in Spanish. Yes. That's awesome. Okay. That's so funny because I can sing in Spanish, but my, my speaking is ass. Uh, yeah. no, I need to brush up. <laughs> All of us second, yeah. first, second generation. generation. I know. He knows we're dealing with the same issue. Like, oh man. I'm like, I don't know about your parents, but my parents said to me, you know, you're going to master English. You know, yeah. you're going to master English because it's you're in snake. America. Go to America. You must master English. <laughs> my and, dad was uh, the same way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. so I did. Yeah. And now I can't. Now Spanish is tough. But <laughs> um, yeah, I, I definitely, definitely sing, read, write. Yeah. Um, my I've been working with a Spanish composer for the past, like, five months we've done a bunch of songs together working on some lyrics so yeah it's, it's been good i've been getting a lot more into the spanish side of things and portuguese actually excellent excellent yeah sergio mendez what a great what a great uh, you know way to come into the studio scene i love that yeah yeah. All right. So, so look, everybody can go to uh, right now. It's currently vocalsbyv.com, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so vocalsbyv and v is vi.com. Go there. You can check her out. She's connected. You're connected with your Instagram and everything, your Facebook. Mm -hmm. uh, anything else that you want to talk to people? Oh, also the YouTube video is there with the Earth, Wind, and Fire band and... You know, anything else that you want to say as far as, uh, you know, words of wisdom or your path to success according to you from your perspective? You know, I, I would just reiterate that to me, relationships are mm -hmm. all the success that you can really get in the world. You know, the you, R can, word. Get, you <laughs> can get far, you can, you can make all the money you want to make, you can make all the records you want to make with all the cats you want to make, but the relationships are what carries the weight and will and will take you really far. So, I mean, I just believe I'm such a testimony to that because I just don't see how I would have gotten anywhere near where I am without yeah. the people that are around me. So yeah. being kind to people and reaching out to them for help and also offering help. Mm -hmm. A lot of times pro bono and just out of the goodness of your heart and being like, yeah, let me help you with that funeral. Yeah, let me help you out with the, the really bad choir that you want me to play and sing at. Just like, let me, you know what I mean? Like, oh. Well, you'd be surprised where it leads. You'd never know. Yeah. Never. So, yeah, relationships are, I tend to measure my success with, with those relationships first. And then um, to see where I've been brought. So, yeah, just a lot of gratitude, a lot of good people, and have fun. Like, really enjoy it. I really... Early on, I decided that I wasn't going to go to music school, classical music school, because I was afraid that I would fall out of love with my piano because mm -hmm. I would be so systematized and disciplined and I would have learned a lot of amazing things, but I really think I would have, that would have hurt my relationship to my piano and to my music, my creativity. So I decided not to go. I decided yeah. to just keep having fun. It's very, very task oriented that that world, right? You, yes. you just it, it becomes a task, a daily task. Yes, yeah. and in every world, it looks different. You know that kind of task oriented, whatever sucks the joy out of it for you. Right. But um, for me, I decided to keep that front and center because I could, I can go to school whenever I want, but mm -hmm. I may not be able to restore and keep that love. So yeah, keeping the love for your instrument and your music um, and people. Those are kind of just my biggest words. 
Excellent. You heard, yeah. you heard it here, folks. V. Jordan is on the precipice of her career as an artist. So uh, be on the lookout. And this is awesome with o almost 800,000 views. Yeah. If I ever lose Ooh. this heaven, Dang. killing it. Wow. That's insane. <laughs> Thanks for being our guest today, V. You are so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Absolutely. Okay. You ready for some rapid fire? Oh, yeah. Fun, yeah. fun rapid fire. All right. All right. So, so you've never been on tour yet, right? No. All right. So I can't ask you that one. <laughs> okay. No. I would usually say three three tour essentials. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. I'm gonna... All right. Here we go. Favorite okay. city? Favorite city, Mallorca, Spain. Mallorca, Spain. Well, you've been out of the country. You've been to Mallorca, Spain. There you go. So were you, were you touring? No, I was a cruise ship. Okay. Instrument you wish you played? Instrument, electric guitar. I got a bunch of them on that wall. You can't oh, see Oh, nice. Yeah, so <laughs> back there. All right. Top three artists in your playlist? Uh, let's see. We got Bobby Caldwell right now, nice. Dr. Rowe, and we got some Buena Vista Social Club. Ooh, love Buena Vista. Yeah. Studio or live? Which do you prefer? Studio. Yeah, you sound like me. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, okay. Your friends would say you are? Friends would say, oh, man, that's a tough one. Uh, I think they would say I was grounded. Good one. Favorite decade of music? 2000s. What entertains you? As an entertainer, we entertain others, but what entertains you? Uh, just some really good comical movies. I'm in love with Will Ferrell right now. Ah, he's awesome. <laughs> I, I'm watching the other guys like every other day. There you go. <laughs> Hidden talents. Hidden talents. Oh, gosh. Um, I can tap dance. There, there you go. I would have never guessed that. <laughs> All right. Dream collaboration. Somebody you want to collaborate with in, throughout your career at some point. I got to go with the big dog, Stevie Wonder. Stevie, you've had yeah, some good yeah. ones thus far. It's, yeah. yeah, nice. And finally, the proverbial yeah. drum roll. What would you do if you weren't a career musician? If I wasn't a career musician, I would be a health coach. I was going to guess that. Yeah, yeah. A nutritionist like you mentioned. Teaching nutrition, helping people get healthy. Awesome. Yeah. All right. I love it. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. All right. All B. right. Jordan. <laughs>